Welcome to Where We Land, a podcast that explores the relationship between Christ, culture, and the church. Hello, my name is Aaron Mansfield, and I'm joined here in the studio today with my co-host Morgan McClure. Hey, everyone. And Stephen Vaughn. Hey, guys. Hey, we're excited to be with you today as we are considering belief and biblical authority. We're going to be considering uh, what is doctrine, how was it formed, and most importantly, uh, how did we get to where we are in the church today? So we hope that you join us and stick around for the whole episode to come. Guys, I'm excited about this season, and I think that this has been such a really good uh, topic as not only as we think about just the church, and we're asking the question, well, what is the church? But I think even given the situation of where the church is at today, um, if you think about it, I mean, there, there was, you know, as we thought about what led us to kind of take on this season, what do you think are some of those uh, themes that um, are important? What, what, what kind of brought us to where we're at today? I mean, I think it's just kind of looking at the church as a whole and seeing how people, first of all, just understand what the church is and some of the common misconceptions, maybe if you want to put it that way. And also, maybe it's not even a misunderstanding. It's just a fact that they've never learned some of the things, you know. And um, I think back to like even when I was in high school and I grew up in like a home that was my father was in vocational ministry and I was in churches all the time. But even as I grew older into college, there was just these things that I'd always thought the church was or was about. And then I found out, man, that's not in scripture. That's something that I put into scripture. You know, my parents didn't Mm. do that because they tried to teach me the word and teach me um, what the church was biblically. But I think as humans, sometimes we go through life and because of our experience or because of what we've been told or what we see and what we think, we've formed these thoughts and these processes of thoughts. And then it takes months, sometimes years, sometimes we never figure it out, but we come to this place where we're like, that's not in God's word. How did I Mm -hmm. get there? You know, I think we're trying to push back against some of that this season and reference specifically to the church and what the church is and what the church is about and what does the Bible say about the church? I think it's even more interesting to look at very recent events talking about this year and relationship to the church when COVID came about, you know, the people's understanding and idea of church has totally been shaped by how they can attend church over these last several months. Many people are currently not meeting in a building and they haven't been since the very beginning of this year. So um, people's understanding of like, oh, yeah, well, we can have church elsewhere, which is true. But some of the the not sacraments, but um, kind of the liturgy of our services, the or liturgy the of the services, of the structure, service. some of the uh, some of the things we have, like Lord's Supper, like what how does that change, you know, and yeah. it's just all of this. It, we can all tie everything back to COVID at this point. Let's be yeah, honest. I feel like that's the tagline of 2020. It's, it's just COVID. like COVID. And, uh, and I, you know, I, I, even in my sermons I've been preaching, I, on the top of them, I always preach like where I preached it. And I, in the parentheses, I've been putting COVID-19 because I think it like, <laughs> it just is a reference of like, well, there was, there was so many unique, uniquenesses of, of, of the year that we're in. Mm-hmm. I think it's important to talk about the church today because like you were saying, Stephen, earlier, uh, there's such a misunderstanding of what it is. Mm. 
And and if we're going to rightly stand for truth and we're going to uh, be about what Scripture is about, I mean, I think it's important that there's not this gap between doctrine and belief. And, you know, that was Paul's really admonition to Timothy, I mean, and to Titus, as they were really beginning gospel works in places where uh, the gospel had not been preached. And and we think about the, their day, you know, in society, uh, especially as Paul writes uh, to Titus in the, book of Crete, uh, in the book of Titus in Crete, you think about his day and you know, a bunch of troublemakers and agitators and things that were happening in society. And Paul, his answer to that was the gospel. And it was not just, uh, it was, it was an under, a right understanding, a right belief. And so I think as we take, you know, jump into this season, what we're really exploring is um, what is the church and how, how is a church to function? How is a church? uh, What are the responsibilities of a church? Um, and today in particular on the podcast, uh, we're going to be talking about belief and biblical authority. You know, last time we were discussing the nature of the church, and what we referenced on the podcast was we were looking at the Nicene Creed, uh, which was a um, a creed in the life of the early church, and it was one that historically has kind of been used to summarize the teaching of the church. And there was one line in that creed that we were looking at uh, where, where it affirmed this, that said that we believe in one holy Catholic apostolic church. And, and by that definition, the creed was emphasizing something about the church. What, what, is, what, is, what are those four adjectives trying to really emphasize about the church? Yeah, well, um, I think instantly if um, holy, um, who is ultimately holy? Well, the Bible describes God as the one who is holy. And so it's his church, and we are to be like the one who we belong to, right? And then I think of the term Catholic, and instantly I think our mind thinks of like a priest or a pope, you know, or like these great big columns um, of buildings, you know, <laughs> in Europe and stuff. But that's not what it's talking about. It, it The term is literally just universal. Um, this, this church that goes beyond what is visible, this body of Christ that is gathered together across the entire world that's mm. represented through visible bodies, you know? Yeah, and, and it's and it's unified. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, I think about those words, one holy Catholic universal apostolic mm-hmm. church. I mean, mm-hmm. I think it's stressing the unity of the church, the the oneness. What were you going to say? Yeah, Morgan? like in Ephesians 4, like yeah. we t- discussed last episode where yeah. it's one mind, one body, one spirit. It's all unified. There's no differentiation. Mm-hmm. You know, so unity, I mean, as we think about belief in biblical authority today, as we're thinking about this on the podcast, I think we need to begin in the book of Acts. And I think in the book of Acts, you know, it only takes a, a really simple reading of the book of Acts. And what you're struck with as you read about the early church, is just the unity of the early church. Mm-hmm. I mean, what are some ways that we see that unity manifested throughout that early church there in the book of Acts? What are some things you see? Well, you see um, just, I think, one, the number of people that's being added to the church, mm. they're all being taught by these apostles who are all preaching the same gospel. And when it's not the same, it's being corrected almost instantaneously, you know, to remind people that, no, this is one true gospel. And the amount of people that come under that, they they weren't making their own factions as soon as they joined. It was all, we're now followers of Christ. That's good. Yeah, That's the, good. U- the unity of the early church is interesting too, because um, if, if you think about it, the apostles are still on the scene. And the apostles... Um, bring this unified teaching because you have to remember the canon is still not 
th- completely mm-hmm. there, right? Yeah. God well, is still just, working. Let me stop you there for a minute. When you talk about canon, yeah, so not, just, we're not talking about a medieval. Yeah, we're not talking about medieval weapon. We're talking about the canon of scripture, and the reason people refer to it is because the canons were considered measuring rods because men did not create scripture; they affirmed what had been given by God, and so in the early church councils, they used canons or measuring rods. Uh, some would be uh, unified teaching, right? Or the authority that is there. Was it written by an apostle or someone who walked with Jesus personally, right? And there was these measuring rods like this that um, they used. And so when when the complete Bible as a whole was affirmed, it came to be known as the complete canon of scripture, what had been measured out and been affirmed by these councils. Because, and we're going to talk about this as we go on, doctrine is not created, it is affirmed. I think that's a really important statement there. I mean, it's huge. It is. And, 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 it, I just can't say it enough. That's so important to think about it that way. Because uh, if, if we're not careful, we can let our terms speak to the fact that we created doctrine or Christians created this. And if you listen to somebody on the street who's not a Christian, a lot of times if you get into like a deep debate, they'll be like, well, I just don't know if I can believe the Bible because I don't know if I can believe something where a lot of guys got together in a room and talked through these things and wrote it. And it's like, okay, well, that's not what I believe. So I'm right there with you 100%, Mm -hmm. right? Because we don't create it, we affirm it. And if we create it, then it is not holy it's and it's not it's, it's not from god and so right. it loses the specialness of what christian christianity and christian belief truly is that's yeah. that's good that's good so i mean we think about the early church you know they're marked by this unity uh they were marked by this commonality of of being in christ mm-hmm. and and i think that relationship gave way to the dynamic of 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 friendship and of brotherhood that you see there in the early church, even with them sharing possessions to anybody that had need. I mean, and and even like Morgan was referencing, the teaching was unified. You know, I think about that. That was Jesus's prayer. I mean, in the Garden of Gethsemane, in John seventeen, this was Christ's prayer. He says in John seventeen uh, verse twenty, the Bible says, "I do not ask for these only, but also for those who believe in me through their word." that they may be one. And then again, a little f- couple verses down, Jesus prayed again that they may be perfectly one. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, we read that statement uh, from uh, there in the uh, Nicene Creed, and we think about Jesus's words in John 17 about unity, about oneness. And I think if we move from the first century reading the book of Acts, and then we look out on the landscape in the 21st century today, uh, things on the surface don't seem to look uh, the same, do they? Not quite I mean, the same. Yeah. I mean, so we think about today, just how, how, how do things look so different on the surface than in the early church? Well, I think today it's one of, um, it's this idea that we're all out for ourselves, you know, and that's a very popular common theme today. Mm -hmm. I believe whether you're in America or you're across the world, you know, when you look at the church of God, there is a lot of visible local unity sometimes, right? So I'm loyal to my church, right? But when it comes to being loyal to the body of Christ, sometimes that lacks, right? Mm -hmm. And so there's a lot of little kingdoms um, that forget the big kingdom sometimes, right? (laughs) And it's come from this central unity that 
I believe was propelled by the apostles because they were there to kind of really give some oomph to it, right? And I think that that was the plan of God all along, and it was (laughs) there for a reason. But I think as you watch the church shift through centuries, the unity kind of starts to disperse, and there's not as much unity to the big K kingdom of God as much to my little K kingdom of my church or my local church, right? I think that's so yeah. I think that's so true. And also, I mean, I think it can be partly attributed to the fact that we don't have, you know, the presence of a big K king at the moment. Yes, he is the one that we were under God's authority, but without having the apostles literally who were with Jesus here to push us along and remind us like, no, this is this is the thing that you should be unified under. It just gets a lot more difficult, especially since the church is made up of people from every faith, uh, not every faith, <laughs> the church is made up of people. One from, faith. Yeah, one faith, one, one, faith, one faith. Remind but... us of that. Um, but so many different backgrounds yeah. and ages yeah. and, you know, socioeconomic status and different cultures. So it's, it's extremely difficult to find that unity that once was there. I think what you're stressing, though, is the, the, the difference between the two terms we were bringing out last part in the episode between visible and invisible right. uh, church. And I think as we, you know, what you're stressing, I think, is that um, on the surface, as we look at things visibly, the church today does not seem unified. Uh, it does not seem unified both in terms of its um, doctrine or in terms of its calling. And and yet, though, the invisible church, and then in the sense that, you know, the church around the globe, I, I mean, I think, um, and throughout time, there is a true church. Uh, uh, Christ said uh, that he would build his church, mm-hmm. you know, and the gates of hell can't uh, stop it. They can't prevent it. And uh, so God's building his church today, and uh, but his prayer would be that his church would be unified. And I think if we just look at the, you know, this is kind of briefly survey the landscape today, you know, um, I, I, com- coming, coming from Acts 1 and 2 and 3 and the early church there, and, and, and as you just work your way through the book of Acts, and as you see local congregations beginning to develop around mm-hmm. part of the known world, um, but what you, but then you look across, you know, the landscape today in the 21st century, and you see all of these different types of denominations. You see Eastern, mm-hmm. Eastern Orthodox Church and the Roman Catholic Church, and then all of these different types of Protestant denominations. You know, you have Presbyterians and Lutherans and Methodists and Baptists and, and Pentecostals, and there's there's all of these different types of denominations. And, and, and so how did we get here? I mean, that's the question I just want to ask. How, yeah. did, how did we get to this place? Yeah, so I think you have to be willing to dig if you're asking this question, right? <laughs> uh, you have to be willing to like really So you have to go all the way back, right? So the church, as we talked about last week, was um, Christ is his church, right? And so he is the foundation and the cornerstone. And then we referenced that passage in 1 Peter, I believe, where the apostles are those um, foundational stones off of the cornerstone, right? And how it talked about how the apostles helped carry on the church. And then the Holy Spirit comes down, right? And empowers his church. And the church starts to be formalized there in the book of Acts, right? And um, you have to remember the apostles are there and then they start to die off, right? And so you either have two ways of looking here. The apostles are gone, right? Or apostolic succession, right? Meaning that there's, there might be more apostles who are going to succeed and come in, right? And they're going to come on the coattails of these other apostles. And um, 
there, there's this guy, Ignatius of Antioch there in the early days who he started to formalize this thought of a monarchical bishop, this idea of a ruling bishop. So it was this idea of the, if you look in Acts 15, who is presiding over the council? Well, the elders are there, are there, but the apostles are really taking a lead role here and trying to mediate and help in some of what's going on there. And Ignatius saw this void and says, well, there needs to be somebody who's ruling here, right? Because now the apostles are gone and there's a lot more power in these local congregations. And so he starts to put the idea out, but there's still these local congregations. But then you start fast forwarding through time. And while churches are working together, what really sets up this idea of what we now would see as this Catholic church, right, is when we see Constantine come onto the scene and all of a sudden he starts to nationalizing nationalize Christianity, Christianity, right? And so Christianity becomes now not a way of worship, but it's a way of life. It's a, it's a religion. It's something that is forced upon me. And so he does all of these things, by the way, while still keeping with some of the pagan rituals, which is a completely different topic. But if you look in history, Constantine was not always cracked up to be okay, but that's a completely <laughs> different <laughs> discussion for a completely different day. But he lays the foundation here of a monarchical structure for Christianity. So you keep fast forward and throughout time, the church becomes more formalized, more concrete, more organized, more hierarchical with a authority structure that goes up to this ruling bishop, this idea of there's somebody who has to determine what's going on. And you get to where we see modern things today as the Pope and so on. And then you have this pushback with the Reformation, which we might get into here in a little bit. But then you get to today and after post-Reformation, they had a problem with where's the authority at, which is what we're going to talk about throughout the rest of the day. And then all of a sudden, boom, they split from the Catholic Church after trying to reform it. They couldn't, though, because um, they wouldn't accept them. And so they split off and they go their separate ways. And all of a sudden, boom, it's like wildfire. Boom. New denominations are formed. New ways of thinking are formed. And they split from the structure, the hierarchical structure, the the way of determining what's going to happen. And then all of these different denominations are born. All these different ways of thinking are born. All these different ways of doing things happen. And there's no way of accountability because accountability is sacrificed on the altar of autonomy at times. And so we're going to talk about those terms, I think, through the rest of the day and define what we're talking about as we move on. But all of a sudden we look out the window today and where's the unity? Yeah, I think what you're stressing though is the fact that after the death of the apostles, the church continued on. And how did that baton get passed to the next generation? Um, it, it Are you saying after the apostles or I'm today? Saying after the death of the apostles, that baton gets passed. And what we're truly kind of looking at is how did that get passed? Yeah. So and, uh, you work down through the creeds and the councils and the different councils of elders that would come together because they still had to have a way of seeing what was happening. And so you think of like the Council of Nicaea, the uh, Council of Hippo, and all these places where they would come to affirm what doctrine was there and what had been given by God, right? And even even to an extent where they would look at the um, canon, remember we talked about that, and they would look at the different 
uh, letters that had been written and they would measure them according to scripture and they would affirm uh, the canon through these creeds and councils of local elders. Yeah. Can we take a second and uh, sort of talk about the the creeds and councils specifically? Because this is the point I think where most people who didn't go to seminary, that's that's the guys that got together and decided everything. So, so you mentioned a couple of them, like just... Well, how, I think, how did that go I think about? you think biblically about how, you know, the apostles were laying that foundation for the church. And um, then you see a lot of the New Testament letters written by an apostle that was helping formulate. And, um, you know, you see that progression in the book of Acts. You know, you see early uh, early part of the book of Acts, the church in its infancy. But by the time, you know, you see Paul writing in letters of like First and Second Timothy, you see that the church by that point had become uh, really kind of put together in a sense of, of, of how was this going to look, you know? And so I think as, as, as doctrine was then handed down from the apostles, somebody is taking that baton and the, is the early church fathers, you know, and, and as Stephen already kind of alluded to, you know, and what really happened, I think with the formation of the Roman Catholic church, and as that gets merged in with government to kind of be this national uh, religion, you know, a lot of people think, well, it was a great thing. Well, in some senses, it was like the worst thing mm-hmm. that could possibly happen to the church because um, at, what 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 in effects happen is is rather than the church being people who are truly born again, people who have been uh, saved by Christ, they've been baptized into that body of believers. Now the church becomes uh, whoever's a part of the state, and and you see things even like infant baptism and things even early on uh, beginning to work their way into the church. And I think going to your question about the creeds and councils, well, what were they? Well, you got to think about it like this: as as doctrine is being formed in the sense of um, understanding what we believe and why we believe it. There was room, I think, and there always will be, but it, particularly in that day, um, while maybe a, a portion, I'd say this, of the church, like Stephen was referring to the biblical canon, had not fully affirmed yet, uh, these are uh, books that are divine. These are books that are inspired by God. While while the church was working through that process, in a sense of of affirming uh, the books of the Bible that were divine, I think they. I shouldn't say that way. They were affirming scripture that is divine. That's what I'm trying to say. Mm-hmm. The creeds and councils, I think, acted in the early church as a way of 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 affirming. Uh, biblical truth. And so when a heresy would come up within the church, either from a leader in the church, you know, that's often what drove uh, some of these early councils and things, because there was heretical teaching being taught in the church. And as the church was having to navigate that water, um, you know, they, they were having to deal with issues in those certain councils and in those places. And so what you would find is creeds were being written and, and, and brought through that type of a process, which was really helping the church understand their their foundation, mm-hmm. to understand what it is that we believe about the Bible. Not just pointing to a verse and saying, oh, well, I believe that, because we can all look at a verse and we can all interpret it different ways based off of how we think we want that to mean or how we want it uh, to be interpreted. Whereas 
really, as we look at Scripture, we let Scripture interpret Scripture, and we right. let Scripture, uh, uh, you know, direct us to our belief. And so, you know, we could spend so much time talking about history today on the podcast. I think that's not really where we want to go, but I think we want to give the listener an understanding that, you know, throughout time, there have been kind of two major divisions in the church. And, and the first of those was what many people refer to the Great Schism of 1054. And that's where um, the Church of Constant- Constantinople, which was um, heavily kind of Greek, and the Church of Rome, which was heavily Latin, that there's this divide between the two. And, and we give it that date, 1054, as kind of a symbolic date of when they parted ways, when in actual fact, there was division that was brewing for centuries uh, that were, was leading up to that point. And really the question was, who has the authority in the church? The question was, uh, there, there was so many other things involved in that, but that was probably the main one. I mean, what, what ends up happening is, 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 is um, one person is excommunicated and the other person does the same. And so there's just like this, this major divide of, well, who is leading uh, the church? And and that works its way then, right? Uh, the Roman Catholic Church comes out of that schism, and uh, you Which begin to see— go ahead. had a lot of political leanings there because Very much they, so. they had this idea that Rome commentated power and glory and all of these things. And so Rome kind of comes to the forefront, even though— it didn't really necessarily need to be at always, the forefront. No, it was not always biblical. I mean, there no. was political things and things leading into that. But but so you see that that split, and out of that comes your Eastern Orthodox Church, mm-hmm. uh, coming from you know the Church of Constantinople, and then out of that Roman Church comes really the Catholic Church, and and continuing their tradition, and so. Um, you know, that goes for a, a number of centuries until the Catholic Church began uh, to elevate more and more things that um, were coming away from kind of that foundation that had been laid by the apostles. Mm-hmm. And so we think about the Reformation yeah. there in the 16th century. Which Once would, again, this was kind of a question of authority, correct? It was. And I, and I think it was a question, you know, the, we, we talk about the reformers. I, I don't even think they would have classified themselves in that term. I mean, you know, but, but what were they seeking to do? You know, we think about them as, you know, breaking away from the Roman Catholic Church, but, but that was not really their intention. I mean, if you go back and read some of their writings, they, they were trying to reform uh, the Catholic Church from within, and, and people like Luther gets pushed out by the Roman Catholic Church. <laughs> I mean, you know, so in this effort to reform it, uh, they, they ended up being pushed out of uh, the Catholic Church, which leads to the Protestant Reformation, as we would think about it. And if I think about the Protestant Reformation, you know, there's really two issues that come to uh, the surface. And while there was many things going on, I think we could kind of boil it down to do these two kind of things. One was, what is the basis of authority for the church? Mm-hmm. And then secondly, what is the basis of salvation? How mm-hmm. is faith received and kind of how is that grace applied in the life of people? Whereas the Catholic Church... Um, you know, would say, well, that faith is something that is a gift of the church. It was something that the church confirmed upon people rather than uh, a personal uh, faith that they have because of God's grace um, in their life. And so, you know, what what I think happens, and I think this is where we want to like kind of spin off here on the podcast for a bit, is to think about, okay, so in the Reformation, while the uh, what is the basis of authority played a big role in what was happening i think what the afor- the the refer- the reformers excuse me <laughs> 
what the reformers are are really bringing up about is that do they preserve the cost of unity at the price of truth? Hmm. You know, do, do we hold this thing together even if truth is on the line? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, th- I think we need to put ourselves in their shoes too, okay? And we need to understand what you said earlier about salvation and the belief by the Catholic Church at the time of being given by the church through things that you did, right? So mm-hmm. like baptism when uh, is the way of entering into the church, right? Confirmation is my way of confirming what's already, right? All of these things. Um, if, if you put yourselves in the shoes of the reformers, though, for them to do this based on what they had been taught was to reject what everything they had been taught about salvation, And I think sometimes we gloss over that and we're like, yeah, they had a difference about salvation. No, they in fact were turning to the church who at that time was saying, we give salvation. We're saying, all we know is that we disagree with you on that. And we believe that scripture teaches this. And so in effect, they were turning their backs on everything they had been taught about salvation. And at that time, that was a huge deal because it put yourselves in their shoes. They've been taught from the moment they begin trusting in the Bible and in God and in what has been taught that in these core things of the church has the authority and the Pope has the authority over the church and the church is the one who can give and take the, you know what I'm saying? I think and this is a huge yeah. deal for them to come in and say, mm, the Bible actually is the authority that we believe in and salvation is only given by God alone. Mm. And all of a sudden, like that's a really big deal. It's like a total <laughs> paradigm shift. It, huge. Not, well, it is. I mean, it, I mean, huge. We, you know, we, we talk so much today about going back to the reformation of what happened, but it was so um, earth shattering in the sense of what led to today, because what was happening in the Catholic church for centuries is, you know, as we think about elevating the teaching of the Roman Catholic Church, uh, specifically those who were bishops and the Pope, and, you know, they kind of had like this ultimate rule in terms of uh, what was going to be taught, what was going to be believed. And and as that began to be elevated, and in addition to just the Catholic Bible, you know, there were sections of the Catholic Scripture like the, um, the, uh, the, uh, Apocrypha, mm-hmm. yeah. you know, and and questions regarding that, and then like Stephen was saying, questions regarding salvation, but even church tradition that by that time had become so laden with a gospel of works, which was, uh, you know, evidenced in doing these sort of things, and I think it, it comes down to how we view God's grace. You know, in the Catholic mm-hmm. Church, it was this idea that God's grace was kind of what Christ had worked on the cross had created this massive reserve. And then now the church is the one that that dispenses that grace based on the dispensary. Off of, it literally was. Yes. Exactly. It literally was pharmacy and dispensary terms that they used based <laughs> off of based off of all those different mm-hmm. things. Whereas, whereas you know, specifically Martin Luther, as he began to study his Bible in the Book of Romans, he begins to realize that wait a minute, grace, a salvation is by grace alone. This is mm-hmm. this is a gift of God. It's not of works. You know, we think yeah. about passages in Ephesians and places where so so coming out of the Reformation, you know, there was a lot of things that was gained by that um, through these Protestant reformers. I think the one thing more than anything that we come out of the Reformation with is this this regained confidence in the Bible alone mm-hmm. as our yeah. authority. Um, you know, a lot of times we'll refer to the five solas of the Reformation. Yeah. Um, sola scriptura, sola fide, sola gratia. 
um, grace, faith, scripture, right? Right. And, and I, there's two others, and I'm, I'm Christ uh, blanking on them. Yep. Christus yep. and Gloria. So yeah. I think about yeah. it this way. When I think about the five solas, I think about that what comes out of the Reformation is this affirmation that the Bible alone is our authority. Mm-hmm. Right. The Bible alone is our authority. And, and what do we believe about that? Well, we believe that we're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, for God's glory alone. And mm-hmm. it's these five really affirmations, but it's really that that one about sola scriptura, that the Bible alone is our source of authority rather mm-hmm. than uh, the Pope or rather than church tradition. Although those things, you know, church tradition, we're not, we're not minimizing our heritage. We're not minimizing uh, where the church came from. Mm-hmm. What we're trying to say is when we think about that phrase is that 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 we're going back to scripture that that Christ is our authority um not not, not a man it's, it's Christ and and as we think about Christ being the cornerstone of the church as he was the one who has all authority that gave it to the apostles as they laid down this new uh, foundation for the early church i think about paul in second timothy chapter 3 he says all scripture is breathed out by god and is profitable mm-hmm. It's profitable. Yeah. It's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction. Yeah. For the training in righteousness. Notice that the man of God may be complete. Mm. I mean, I just think that's that's what the reformers were arguing for. They were mm-hmm. arguing for uh, the authority of Scripture once again to take center stage in the life of the church. Well, and this is also a very modern issue that has kind of boomeranged back around across the centuries because you look out across the landscape of at least the American church today, and I know it's not just the American church, but that sola scriptura, according to scripture alone, there are many people who have diverted back to tradition, back to, or, you know, into popular teachings. Mm-hmm. I, I ran across an article this morning from Ligonier Ministries, if that's how you say it, yeah. R.C. Sproul, yeah. yeah. Um, and they shared that they shared this um the state of theology is a survey that they do every year. And this terrifying statistic to me is that one third of evangelicals in America do not believe that Jesus was divine. Mm-hmm. And that is based largely out of popular teachings that have just kind of started to circulate. But, you know, the authority of scripture has been neglected in the face of popular yeah. teaching. Yeah. And I, I think it's, it's interesting that you bring up the, it's almost like a boomerang. It kind of is. And it's also weirdly like different too, because if you look at what were they dealing with on the authority issue, then it was this hierarchical authority of, is it the Pope or is it the church or is it scripture and Christ? Right. And now you look in culture and you look in church and you're exactly right. It is an authority issue. And today it's not so much a hierarchical authority though. It's I don't have any authority. Mm. I'm my own authority, right? And so we've come full circle now to this different type of idea the, now mm, of where yeah. it's not so much does the church have the authority, it's I have the authority right. or scripture has the authority. Well, I think <laughs> the pendulum is so swung so far in mm-hmm. the other direction that as we think about what we gained coming out of the Reformation and and you know these convictions of that the Bible alone is our source of authority, you know we we come away from that and we affirm that and we think about what we gained by that, but we also have to think about some things that you know were not lost but but sig- lost. significantly <laughs> hidden. Yeah, I mean we think about what you know coming out of the Reformation though. Um, you know, you, you mentioned authority. I think come coming with that now ask the question in those local denominations in in those, um, Protestant denominations that are being formed, 
you know, such a, such a, the question that was asked at the time was, well, who gives you the authority to do that? Yeah. You know, I mean, that, that was a significant thing that the reformers had to deal with. And, and their answer to it was, well, God gave us that authority. You know, the word of God gives us that authority. But, you know, we, we, we uh, referenced uh, maybe last time uh, Hebrews chapter 13, and we find this one passage where uh, the writer of Hebrews says to obey your leaders and submit to them for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will give an account. And, you know, we read that phrase and, and in some senses that really rubs up against uh, the American way of life. But we realize as we read that verse that that's just not a blanket statement for all who are in authority. That's not a blanket yeah. statement for all who are leaders. You go back and that is found and it's set within the context of verse seven that says, remember your leaders for those who spoke to you the word of God. Mm-hmm. consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. You know, I think it's almost like the writer of Hebrews is saying, you know, within the church of God, there are leaders. And within the church of God, there are those who are keeping watch yeah. over the souls of those who have been entrusted uh, to their account. And yet at the same time, it's understanding that those leaders, the authority in the church, if we could think about it in that way, uh, the visible, I guess, maybe uh, authority in those local congregations is is only authority that has been delineated to them by the Word of God. Right. It's not and like they. It's just, not a blanket statement. No, and it's not like the people who are in authority just stood up and said, "Okay, I'm going to be the one in charge." Right. You know, it's very structured, given out by God. Otherwise, it would be sort of melee, and people wouldn't know what to do. Yeah, right. which is what makes, in a sense, parts of the Reformation so kind of interesting because I think that they would argue, well, they weren't speaking the word of God, right? Or they weren't speaking it correctly. And so there was this pushback to... Well, their teaching wasn't that, even founded because they're in teaching, that. I mean, they were like, exactly. the reformers were looking at scripture and they're like, where in the world there is this There is no teaching, from? right? Where and so they would from? be like, well, we're going to go with the authority of scripture then right. because this authority is a false authority, right? Mm-hmm. So <laughs> as, we, as we look then at all these things and as we kind of start to... Um, land the plane in a sense, right? <laughs> we always use the airplane illustration on where we land because <laughs> we it's where we land, right? <laughs> it just fits with it. Come up with something else but um, yeah. as, as we start to kind of land the plane, we've discussed this idea of choosing truth over unity, right? And then what did we lose and what has happened because of the Reformation and all these things in history. Um, I think it's time to bring up this idea, though, of autonomy and accountability. And so, Aaron, could you kind of define what we mean when we're talking about autonomy and accountability in as it relates to the church. Right, yeah. So those are both very important things to bring up. I think also I'd clarify they are separate things, Mm -hmm. right? So let's deal with autonomy first. When we talk about the autonomy of a local church, uh, what we're referring to is that a local church is self-governing. And, you know, there's a number of things that are important in that. I would just encourage us to go to the book of Acts. If we want to for a minute here before we uh, sign off, I think go to Acts 15 uh, to the Jerusalem Council. And... um, you know, because I think we need to go back to Scripture and we need to ask the question, well, how does Scripture present this? As, as we think about, um, you know, our understanding of Scripture will shape the way we practice. Yeah. Um, you, know, the, you know, Paul talks about not, not letting there be this big gap between our belief and our practice. And I think ultimately, however we practice reveals what we believe. And um, so I go back to Acts 15, to the Jerusalem Council, and I think what you begin to, if you'll take some time just to study through the book of Acts, um, in particular, in Acts 15, right, 
um, there's a question that is coming up in the life of the church. What is that? What's, what is really at stake? I mean, there's a conflict over circumcision and do I need to be circumcised? Do I not need to be circumcised? Because right. right. a lot of the people who are coming from Jewish backgrounds were. And so to right. the Greeks and the, and the others who were not, they were like, well, bro, you're part of the church now, so you need to be circumcised. Right. So immediately you don't go too far into the book of Acts and you see that there's this question of doctrine. In the life of the church, what is the church going to believe about circumcision? How is that going to become practiced in the church? Now, what I find is interesting is how does the early church handle it? You know, um, what are what, first? Let's just talk about how they handled it, and then let's talk about well, how they didn't handle it, right? So, what, what how did they handle that, Stephen? What what was the church's answer uh, for this issue of doctrine? How was it going to become uh, resolved? Well, the apostles and elders gather together into a group, and if you read so, through the if you read through the passage, you'll kind of see that the apostles they kind of mediate and kind of give a oversight here to the meeting to kind of keep it in check. But now when you say elders, who were those elders so that were coming the, there in Jerusalem? The local pastors of the local churches from wherever they were at that time. I mean, I mean we would want to say that they were right around Jerusalem, right? Because it was the Jerusalem Council, but it doesn't really give us the exact geographical location. At least by this time, the gospel had, had gone, you know, to not only Samaritans, but to the Gentiles. Right. Mm -hmm. So this is at least outside. Cause it mentions Phoenicia uh, and Samaria. So that gives us a little bit of geography that's outside of Jerusalem. So, I mean, this is a decent ways, at least just with those, they're coming from a little ways. Yeah. So verse six kind of summarizes. It says the apostles and the elders were gathered together to consider this matter. And notice in verse seven, after there had been much debate, Peter, one of the apostles stood up and said to them, brothers, you know that in the early days, God made choice among you that by the mouth of the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God knows the heart uh, born witness to them, giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us. And he made no distinction between us and them, having cleansed their hearts by faith. And so they, you just keep reading Acts 15, and you realize that the council is is working through this. And, um, and then at the very end, uh, in, in verse 22, um, it seemed good to the apostles and to the elders and with the whole church um, to... To, to do something. And what do they do? Well, they sent, uh, they, they selected uh, Paul and Barnabas, and um, they sent these men along with Silas uh, and, and others with a letter. And, and notice what's happening. They're, they're, they're informing the whole church mm-hmm. uh, regarding this matter of doctrine. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're, affir- they're informing what has been affirmed. Right. And so I think as we circle back around to the what we were talking about, I think that you see both autonomy and accountability in X 15. I don't think it's one or the other. And I don't think it's saying that you have to have one or the other. I think it's saying that you can have both. Why? Well, because there's individual elders of individual churches who come to individually affirm what the Bible says. That's and good. together as a unified body, they were able to keep each other accountable and keep each other within what the orthodox, the correct way of teaching was supposed to be. Mm-hmm. And I think one of my favorite uh, lines from this passage of scripture is, and after there had been much debate, it, it, <laughs> you know, it wasn't something that just was automatic. I mean, all these different elders were coming from opinions, right? Like we're individual people, we have different opinions, but what did they make their final decision under? And that was the authority and teaching 
of God through scripture. Mm-hmm. And I think you can read Acts and you can see different places where this autonomy of a local church is seen. It's seen there in Acts 15 where each of these local churches' elders were going um, to kind of affirm um, their authority and whatever was mm-hmm. being doctrinally disputed in the church. But you also see places like in Acts 6 and Acts 14 where uh, the local church is kind of appointing its own uh, leaders, and you see the apostles appointing elders in places, and then you see in Acts 13 where uh, the church, the, a local church, is sending out its own missionaries, you know, and there's this accountability uh, of, of a local church, even in terms of, you know, church discipline. I think we were referenced that we were talking about the nature of the church or why it matters to see a invisible and a visible church. You, you know, you can't, as a church, practice uh, biblical discipline in the way that the Bible lays out if there's not some recognized local assembly, right? And mm-hmm. so there is this autonomy of a church. But I think you're hitting it on the head, Stephen, when you're talking about that there's this need for accountability. I, You know, if we think about coming out of the Reformation for a minute, how was that accountability lost? Um, and and I, I once again, I say that word lost, but, you know, for centuries, what had been kept within kind of this unified structure of a church is now... Um, being questioned, mm-hmm. you know, even the, even the church for over like almost a, almost a hundred years, um, people that were coming out of that to form their own denominations and Protestant denominations, I mean, were highly persecuted. Yeah. So, well, it, it becomes there is a lack of accountability, right? And while the account, I think it's important to define too, the accountability that they left was not a good accountability and no, it was a true. false accountability. So to be like, well, they should have just stuck it out. Well, it was, they were teaching heresy. So <laughs> heresy meaning anti what the Bible says and anti scripture, right? It is heretical, false teaching. And so they left this false way of accountability, but there was a lack of accountability because it kind of went into almost a vacuum, right? And it's like, it's you, me, Bob over in uh, uh, wherever they were, right? I mean, a lot of it happened in Germany. So I mean, like, he's across that mountain, I'm across this mountain. And it's like, so there was a lack of accountability, though, that happens. And I think you see the effects of that if you look at history post-Reformation to today. And you see all of these different denominations that pop up. And then, uh, well, anybody today, I mean, in a sense, anybody can go out and start a church. And it's like, okay, well is that the correct way of doing things or is there actually a biblical accountability that churches should have with one another and that church leaders should have with one another? Because God has, I mean, it's in scripture and God has given authority to people in the church to oversee, but they need accountability, right? And it's great to be accountable to God and his word, but there also is a reason why God created people to be relational beings and to be accountable to one another, right? So let's kind of just kind of end it this way, as we maybe would think about how do we, how does the church today go forward uh, in the state of where we're at? I think, you know, we go back to the book of Acts, and I think we need to affirm some takeaways of just, hey, this is what the early church was about. And even though we're centuries, uh, you know, past, you know, when the early church began, I think there are things that even in modern day, we need to be careful not to throw the baby out with the bathwater, if it were, or or uh, to let the pendulum swing so far in one direction that that we forget um, that 
hey, these are some things that the church needs to be striving after as we think about belief and biblical authority. What would just kind of come uh, to mind as we think about what what would some of those key things to be? Well, I think about their their love for one another and the way that they strove after a biblical unity. Now, I say biblical unity because, yes, they they did have Scripture, but Scripture is still also being formed. But it's this biblical way of doing things, this way of doing things that is according to God and His will, which we find God's will in His Word, right? And yeah. I think I think as we look into how they dealt with things, they didn't just leave it with, I want to do it this way, right? And I love what Morgan brought up. There was much debate. There was. You had guys that were from the heart of Jerusalem who had grown up in a Jewish home for all their lives in Acts 15. And you had guys who had never stepped foot maybe into Jerusalem until that day, or if they had, it was just passing through. So there was disagreement, but what? how did they come to the agreement? Well, it was because Peter had argued according to God's way of doing things. And when they heard this, because they were spirit-filled and they were born again, they had the wisdom and discernment to see this is God's way because it's according to God's word and his will, mm -hmm. right? And I think we we sometimes argue based on experience, what I feel like. Uh, I mean, just think, why do people leave churches? Um, why? Well, sometimes it is because of biblical teaching. Sometimes it is. I think back through some of the different churches I've been in uh, growing up and stuff, and there was times where biblical teaching was on the line. And so my family, we had to make a different church. Sometimes it's practical. We move or something happens. Sure. But a lot but of I'd times... I'd say most often that is not the case. A lot of times, though, it uh, is based on feeling, and there yeah. is not a striving after biblical unity. Yeah. Biblical unity. Sure. Yeah. Here's the thing that, I mean, I just always think of. John 17 is one of my favorite chapters in the entire Bible. And like you said at the very beginning, when Jesus is praying for you know, the disciples who are present with him, but also for all of his future believers that, um, let's see, where is it? Uh, I in them and you and me that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. Right. And how, and, and how else, you know, are we to be unified, but under the authority and of, of scripture that God has given us? Cause I think even in Titus one, um, verse 9 where he's talking about qualifications for elders it's just so important it says he must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it because sometimes i think just as american christians we get so caught up in like oh but it's more about the relationship with jesus than doctrine like nobody bonds you know like we don't save people by doctrine and i'm like hold up yes the, the doctrine of the crucifixion you know and resurrection the truth of about Christ. jesus is yes, what saves you that is yeah. doctrine you know so we, he saves we, you <laughs> yes <laughs> yeah like the right. mm, knowledge and faith no, but that's that. so good what you're bringing out because i think what you're bringing out is the attitude of the church today that basically says oh you know doctrine doesn't matter we can just kind of get along and feel good about doing these type of things whereas you know hey belief and biblical authority are critical mm -hmm. because because when when truth is right rightly understood and practiced, the church is unified. And yes. I think I think what we see in Acts 17 with Jesus's prayer is what is a reality in Christ 
uh, is that we are truly perfectly unified in Jesus, is that we would endeavor to see that worked out in a visible way through the visible communities um, that are um, that that are represented in local churches, you know? Mm-hmm. And I, so I think uh, coming away from this, I think I'm reminded of the necessity to align our life, not with what we think is being taught in a denomination or what uh, we personally feel like, but that we would go back to the standard of God's Word and say that scriptural alone God's Word, His authority, is is what is important. And mm-hmm. that's all that matters. That's all that matters. And and I think the other thing I would take away from this is that, you know, I see in Acts 15 that the local church um, led with biblical leadership was navigating some challenging things collectively. And, you know, in our day, I think there's such a reaction of, you know, post-Protestant Reformation that if, if we don't line up eye to eye on every single issue, then we're going to split over it. Mm-hmm. And it's like, it's like, well, hold on, let's, let's affirm biblical doctrine and truth. And then in matters of, of, of lesser things that are truly matters of opinion, as Paul talks about in Romans 14, that you'll show deference. Mm-hmm. And exactly. Show and I think that there's an importance there in Acts 15 of they were willing to deal with and talk about the problems. Yeah. Today, nobody's willing to talk about the problems, right? It's always like, well, if we disagree, then you're wrong, right? And it's like, okay, well, they were willing to get together because there was disagreement and they worked through the disagreement. And I'm sure at the end, not everybody probably like still felt like they agreed, but they were willing to be like, you know what? We're going to agree here for biblical unity. And maybe not all of them were as tight as others were, right? And they all went back to their local churches and stuff. But at the same time, they were willing to be able to talk about the problems, deal with the problems, and at the end of the day, at least have a biblical unity foothold to stand on. I think that's good. You know, I think as we just kind of end the episode today, I would challenge the listeners, as I'm challenging my own uh, self, uh, to think about our doctrine mm-hmm. and to think about our belief and to realize that doctrine matters. Uh, what we believe is important because it will shape the way we live. And, and that we would be able to go to Scripture as our standard um, to really work through those things. And rather than answer um, a question in the day based off of merely feeling or, or the church tradition that we grew up in of what we've heard, that we would come back to the Bible and we would say, well, what does the Bible say about this? And that I would interpret Scripture both in the community of saints that I'm a part of, and that I would I would seek to follow Christ and and look to Him as the one uh, who truly has the authority for my life. Yeah, I just have one final thought, and um, I can't remember who said this first. Maybe you guys can help me after I say it. But um, the the quote goes like this: "In essentials, unity; in non essentials, liberty; and in all things, charity." I and think so- it was uh, Augustine that. It was quoted. It sounds like Augustine. It sounds like Augustine. I wasn't totally sure, but... Or Augustine, depending on which camp you're from. (laughs) But, you know, it just goes back to that authority of Scripture, love for one another, and showing deference. And that's really how it can all be wrapped up into one. (laughs) 
Thank you for listening to Where We Land, Christ, Culture, and the Church. Listen, if there's anything we've talked about on the show today that you'd like to know more about, we would love to hear from you. So send us your thoughts, questions, and feedback by sending us an email at podcast at whereweland.org. On our next episode, we'll be considering worship in the church. We look forward to seeing you there next time.